last Sunday morning. There was a two-word sentence that we focused on believing uh, that it was the Lord's heart for us. And that two-word sentence was this, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. We spent a little time on the subject out of the Apostle Paul's life, four chapters out of the book of Acts, involving one of the times when he was shipwrecked. Trust me. When all hell breaks loose, trust me, when it seems like all hell is breaking loose. Last Sunday morning at this hour, hurricane winds had slammed Rockport and Port Aransas. Much of both of those communities was left flooded and in shambles. But interestingly enough, the water that was meant for San Antonio in the early predictions shifted to Houston. What Houston has been hammered by in the last week, we were supposed to get a bunch of. So I left here Sunday morning realizing that my 88-year-old dad, being treated for some advanced stages of prostate cancer, was in Houston. Shirley's mom, I won't give her age, uh, she's in Houston as well. My sister Ann, Shirley's brother Brad, and their families Several of them were scattered along, including my father, Cedar Creek, which if you listen to any of the news reports are aware that that was one of the major sections of town that in the early part of the flooding was out of its banks and was moving. I knew that my dad was not going to be able to climb out a window and get up on his roof. Water was rising. The creek was out of its banks by Sunday evening. Raining all day Monday, torrential rain Sunday, Monday. On the phone with him, keeping up with the progression of things, our son Evan has a bay boat that can make it in about six inches of water and Evan with a friend dispatched themselves to go and be prepared to if, fetch his granddad back if he needed to and grandmother. We prayed continuously and I know many of you, I'm telling you just one story. There are 2.3 million people in 2017 estimated in Houston proper but you can double or triple that 
to combine all of the people that were affected by this event. 35,000 or 40,000 are estimated to be in shelters from the storm, from Houston, Beaumont, points in between. The remarkable thing is there are only 35 to 40,000 when the storm was as massive as it was. And I believe this morning that as time goes on, there are going to be a number of stories like the one I'm I'm in the process of telling you about how the Lord, even though there was loss of property and tragic loss of life, in the middle of all of that, there still were things that God was doing to protect and to preserve and keep his people. We need to understand that it is the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God doesn't steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus was the victim of storms and raging winds and torrential downpours and seasons of drought and so forth. He said, in this world, you understand you're going to have tribulation, pressure, things that stress and try to damage and harm you, but be of good cheer. What's the rest of that? I have overcome the world. You're not going to be an overcomer unless you're an undergoer. So that meant Jesus went through things and he's able to carry his message and unleash his power, the overcomer, in the middle of the storm. Cedar Creek's rising. Water is filling the subdivision. Homes closer to the creek getting water in them. My dad, after dark Monday night, on the phone said, the water's in the garage, and I think I remember him saying it's up to the hubcaps on the car parked in the garage. It's approaching our front porch. It's coming to the front porch. We couldn't get into him. He couldn't get out. Like so many surrounded by water. So we just, to say we just prayed is the wrong way to put it. We prayed. That, that's, that's the thermonuclear weapon in this thing is prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I know many of you were sharing with me, doing that same thing for those you do and care about Hung up the phone with him at about 10.30 Monday night, this past Monday night, expecting that any point during the night I was going to get a call that, that we've, we're, we're in water in the house. I didn't sleep much, hadn't, didn't sleep a whole lot, as I'm sure many of you didn't either on those nights when things were so, so up in the air as to what was going to happen. I felt like Nebuchadnezzar running to check on Daniel for daylight. Had to go, had to get to the phone and call, Dad, Dad, how is it? How's it going? It was a brief pause, not a long pause, but he said, it's, it's amazing. He said, I got up and went and looked in the garage, and there's no water in the garage. Now, this is after it had, it had rained all day, Sunday, rain, continued to rain through the night on, on Monday. And then he said, I went, to the, I went to the front porch and looked out, and the water has left the front porch and has moved back into the yard. From that point on, it receded, it receded, it receded, it receded. 
Now, you know, the Lord's people would say, God's people would say things different than what those who don't know the Lord would say. Some would call it a coincidence or that was just good luck. But to us, because we prayed specifically, Lord, would you have mercy on, a, on an elderly man and in a weakened condition, would you, would you just have mercy? It was as if the Lord took that finger of his and just drew a line and said, thus far and no farther. I believe that there are going to be many, 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 many stories like that from the Lord's people as time goes on. I love seeing that, that clip that somebody took from a cell phone in one of the rescue or the, the, the shelters where the, the lady just got up and just started singing that gospel song, and there was no accompaniment. There was, she didn't have a piano, an organ, a guitar, but she was, just, she was just belting it out. And they panned the group, and it looked like most everybody in the room was just was right there with her. The Lord's people in the middle of a storm. Sometimes he delivers you out of it. Sometimes he delivers you through it. Sometimes he even uses a storm as the means for the greatest miracle any of us are ever going to experience in, life, in this life. You know what that is? To get to go to heaven. Sometimes he uses the storm to take us to heaven. But we haven't died. We haven't died the second time. That's what hell is. We, we die once. We all die once. But, but the other side is brighter than this side. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. I am the resurrection and the life. So, so whether it's life or whether it's death, the Lord's people win and win big. But I just wanted to share that with you because I, I know a whole bunch of you were praying for loved ones and friends and uh, folks you care about that were caught up in all of this. I've got another story that I'm, I'm researching a little bit about one of, our, one of our guys and his family who had a place down on the coast and, and um, they were right in the crosshairs and, and miraculously their property was, was spared. Um, but th that's enough on that. I need to get, get my facts straight, but I want to come back and, and share that with you. Trust me, even when all hell breaks loose, trust me, he's not a fair-weather friend to you. He's not just a calm water God. Charles Spurgeon said in one of his messages, one of his sermons years and years ago, it seems as if the Lord always takes, this is how I put it, the bleak side of the hill, the bleak side of the hill. The bleak side of a hill or a mountain is going to be one that has no vegetation on it, very little topsoil, very little anything except rocks. Nothing can grow there. Why? Because it's continually being blasted by the elements, by the winds, by the snow, by the rain, by lightning. Spurgeon's experience was that it's as if whenever I find myself on the bleak side of the hill, it is there where I also find the presence of my Savior. 
He's no stranger to battles. He's no stranger to storms. He's no stranger to lonely nights. He's no stranger to conflict. He's no stranger to the wild. He's no stranger to confusion. Because in the midst of all of that, he is not confused. In the midst of all of that, he is not unsettled. In the midst of all of that, he still has the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is ruler over all, is the one to whom everyone and everything ultimately, ultimately will answer. Trust me, he says. Trust me. Even when all hell is breaking loose, trust me. This morning, another page in that category of trust in the Lord. Trust me, he will say, even when nothing seems to be changing. Trust me, even when nothing seems to be changing. And then there could be another phrase or clause added to that. Trust me, even when nothing seems to be changing, because you can't see what I'm doing. Trust me, when nothing seems to be changing, because you can't see what I'm doing. I want you to find the last book in your Bible this morning, Revelation, the book of the Revelation, and chapter 3. One more time, I want us to read this description of Jesus and then the statement he makes to a church on the basis of that introduction of himself. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, Jesus is dictating this letter. And here is how he introduces himself. Jesus introduces himself in these words. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus speaks with reference to the past, and he speaks with reference to the present. 
The past is what is preparing for what he speaks of in the present. Now, my dear brother and sister in Jesus, if you are in the middle of some kind of situation in your life where it seems like nothing is changing, there has been no resolution, you can't see the conclusion, not even sure really what the destination might be. It just seems like you've been in this for way too long, humanly speaking. To you, to your heart, right in the middle of whatever that is to you, whatever that looks like to you, not the person next to you or somebody who's not here, but whatever that looks like to you, the Lord, I believe, would say to you, his dear child, trust me, trust me, even when nothing seems to be changing. Because this is an insight, here is an insight into what he is doing in our lives and noticing in our lives when nothing may seem to be changing. We don't know how long this church, this gathered group of believers had even existed in Philadelphia, the name of the town in Asia Minor. We don't know how long they'd been there but Jesus knew how long they'd been there. And he says, I know your deeds. I know, not just with a casual reference, a sidebar, I know in the sense of fully comprehending every detail, every timeline, every aspect of what's been going on. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. I know what you've been involved with. I know what has come to encompass you. I know how you have responded. I know how you have thought about responding. I know what has been done to you and how you have responded to that. I know your deeds. Nothing hidden from my understanding of what you have been going through. Now, folks, that in and of itself ought to be an encouragement to us. The Lord is wanting us to understand he draws near when there's difficulty and when there are seasons of, of an unending kind of journey. He, he, he's not distant to that. He's in it, and he notices some things. He notices three things. He says, I know that you have a little power. In and of yourself, there's weakness more than there is strength. You're not necessarily qualified at all to fix the situation or make the change on your own. You have, you have little power. That's that word dunamis. You, you, you don't have a lot of dynamite inside of you. You have little power. But then he says, 
but you've kept my word. You have kept. Now, we don't know how long that is. We don't know, but, but it, was, it was long enough for there to be a past tense where they were keeping the word, and then on the basis of that, a present tense for the Lord opening a door for them. You've kept my word. You've held on to my word. You haven't backed away from my word. You've guarded my word. The things I've said to you, the things that have been written to you, speaking primarily of the Scripture and the revelation of the Spirit of Jesus to the hearts of these people. The Lord's saying, all the days that you've been through the things that you've been walking through, here's what I've noticed about you. You hadn't had a lot of power in of yourself, but you have held on to my word. You have kept my word. You have guarded my word. You have honored my word. And then he says, and you have not denied my name. Now, that can mean a couple of things. Denied in the sense of rejecting, of turning away, of disavowing the name Jesus and a loyalty to Jesus. It could mean that. You, you even in the face of confrontation and conflict, you, you've not denied that you're my child. You, you, you've not denied me. I noticed that. But it also can mean you've not denied the flow of my power that is available to you when you access my name. You've been praying in my name. You've asked me for things in my name. You've not denied my name. You've not denied my name. You've kept my word. Folks, listen. Listen. Please get it. You, you don't have a chance to prove that these things are true about you when everything is easy, when everything is pleasant, when everything is like you would want it to be. You only have an opportunity to prove that you don't deny his name when there was a temptation available to you to deny his name. It's no big deal that you've kept his word if everybody around you is quoting the same verse and singing the same song and doing the same things. But when there's opposition, when there's a challenge to your peace of mind and the trust in the Lord, a challenge to the trust in, and you still choose to follow him, to keep his word, that means something. So, so even when it doesn't seem like anything is changing, I just got to tell you this morning, your father in heaven, Jesus the Christ, is noticing, he's noticing you. It's made news in heaven that, yes, you have a little power, areas of weakness within yourself, but by the work of his spirit and by the tenacity within your heart, you have held on to his word, and you have not turned your back on your Jesus. Folks, say it again. The only Time you get to prove that about you is when there was a challenge, when there was an opportunity 
to turn away, and you don't. There's an opportunity to forfeit the Word of God and just go off into something else, and you won't. I'm telling you, I just, I believe heaven looking down and seeing you gathered here and the ones who'll be listening, he knows what you've been going through. He knows how long you've been going through it. He knows what's been said about you. He knows what's been perpetrated against you. That one right there, little power, but that one has kept my word. That one has not denied my name. And on the basis of that, it's as if the Lord rolls up the sleeves of that mighty right arm and left arm. And here's what he says. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will have the power to shut and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Bible scholars generally agree that the key of David Jesus is speaking of here is referencing an authority, a supernatural authority and ability to open or close doors of earthly, material, human opportunity. It's heaven exerting its influence in practical, measurable real-time, real-space ways on earth. Let that sink in, brother and sister. Let it sink in. The past has been Jesus watching and being blessed by those obscure but consistent and steady places of obedience and choices that would honor him, though it would cost you something. Places where you have not denied his name and his, his ownership of you, if you will, by the life that you lived. Now, on the basis of that, that's been going on in the background. But the present is the one who holds the keys to earthly opportunity, determines to open a door for you that you didn't even know he was considering, that to you in an earthly sense would seem to be absolutely humanly impossible. But the God who holds the key of David loves you and has been noticing you. You've been a blessing to him and a joy to him and how you have stood up for him and honored him in those seasons where you had choices. Now it comes to payday. Now it comes to fruition. He says on the basis of that, here is a door 
earthly opportunity that is being set before you that no one can shut. Now, he's not saying I'm going to drive you through it in a golf cart. You're going to be able to get to, get to it easy, and there won't be any bumps and won't be any challenges. But it's just saying he's making it very clear. On the basis of what you have done, on the basis of who you have been, there is now before you, being set before you supernaturally, a door of opportunity. So why trust him <laughs> when it seems like nothing's going on? I'm telling you. You trust him when it seems like nothing's going on because everything is going on. The determinant of your future is determined by how you've chosen to live and walk with Jesus in the obscure, the quiet, the dark, the distant, the everyday. I just, I just want to encourage. I, just, I hope. I hope. I hope you're not poking on somebody else and saying, you need to hear this. I hope you're just you're opening those shades of your brain up and your heart up. We wonder what's it all about. How long is this going to last? Does it do any good to love God? Does it matter that I read my Bible? Does it, does it even make any difference that I show up in church? Does it matter if I pray? It does. It's not that we back God into a corner by our behavior and make him do something that he doesn't want to do. Folks, we're just doing what we can't help doing in a sense. Jesus has come to live inside us. We're taken on by degrees, by the work of his spirit, and more and more of his personality. More and more of his desires begin to control our desires. That's why when it says we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give the desires of our heart because he tweaks our desires. We're just doing what we do. We're doing what's in us to do. And the Lord sees that. The Lord notices that. Every time you've stayed up at night, crying your heart out to the Lord for someone you love in some situation that you can't change, but instead of you just drowning yourself in booze or, or losing yourself in TV. You take your heart and you take it to him. And you, Lord, I'm not denying your name in this. I'm speaking the name of Jesus. I'm pleading the power of the name of Jesus. I stand on the authority of the blood of Jesus. And I ask you to do what is in your heart to do. It wasn't wasted. Didn't go without notice. It's proof of that in the, I know your deeds. Do you hear him saying that? I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know what you've chosen. I know your deeds. I know that you have little power, but you've kept my word. You've kept my word. You've been loyal to my word. What I spoke to your heart from my word, you've lived it. And you've not denied my name on the basis of that. And we don't know how long the season for that was necessarily involving in the Philadelphian church or how long it means for us. But he notices it. And the result is he's getting us ready for 
And he's getting the opportunity ready for us, us ready for an opportunity, the opportunity ready for us. And when the time is right, he brings the two together, and that's what he's saying. And he has the authority to do it. You're about to sell your soul to corporate America. You're about to sell your soul to some family line. He sees that you've kept his word. You've not denied his name. And he is the one who opens doors and closes doors. And when he closes a door, listen, when he slams a door in your face, one you thought this is what we needed to have, this is what I suppose we've been living for, and the door just slams in your face, the older we get in the Lord, the more we learn when we hear the smack of that door, it's two things, protection, 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 and one way or another is provision. He's, he's providing better for you or when you'll see it in time than if you had to have that door that you thought was the dream of all dreams, dream of all dreams, door slammed shut. Thank him. He has the authority over you to open doors that no man can shut and close doors that nobody can open. And he does what he does out of kindness for those of us who are his children. Kindness is over all his works. Got that? Okay. Now let's, let's, let's grow cross country. I want, you to, I want you to keep those happy thoughts that you just had. Keep them ha happy thoughts. And I want you to go with me to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And there are going to be some of you, as we begin to read down through this section of Scripture, there's some of you, like happened in the first service, you're going to almost want to get up in your pew and say, Pastor, please give me a shot. Please give me a chance. Please let me tell my story. Please, please. It's, it happens every time. Ones who have chosen over the long season of your life to set God at the center of your finances, of your finances. Nothing's changed, nothing's changed, nothing's changed. Lord, I've got the same position. I'm making the same payment. I'm making all this stuff. I, nothing's changed, nothing's changed, nothing's changed. Not necessarily. Revelation 3 may have a little power. But have you been keeping his word? Have you been honoring what he has taught you and shown you in his word? Have you chosen not to deny his name and reject him? If that's the case, then what he promises, three specific promises, and this Malachi 3, 10, and 11, these promises belong to you. I want you to keep in mind that he is the one who opens doors that nobody can shut. He is in charge of your future if we allow him to be. We allow him to be that by keeping his word and not denying his name. Israel had fallen into a bad way financially. Seemed like everybody was broke. The nation was broke. The prophet Malachi is sent to point out that God knows, God knows you're in this mess financially, materially, and then he's sent to deliver the cure, to deliver the answer. 
Oh my goodness. Over the years, folks, of, of, of people coming to know the Lord, young couples getting started out right, this, this truth right here is, is on the same level of the significance of learning how to pray, learning how to, that, that you have the ear of heaven when you cry out to God as a forgiven sinner, as, a, as an adopted member of the family now, you can talk to your Abba Father. As important as, as getting familiar with the scripture from Genesis to the maps and back, that you know the word, you're learning the word, maybe not understand it all, but, but it's like vitamins to your soul. You're reading it, you're absorbing it, and you're being strengthened in the process. Third in the list is this matter of, oh my goodness, get in on God's plan to bless you materially. Get in on it. Get in on it. Get in on it. Here's how. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the Lord says, so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. He makes three promises if we do the math. And if we consistently do the math, 10%. One banana out of 10, one blackberry out of 10. You bring the whole tithe, not flipping God a quarter, not once in a while when we get guilty, throwing him 10 bucks or 100 bucks. Because the Lord says, I know you have little power, but I've been watching the way you keep my word. It may not be a gazillion dollars. He knows what you make. He knows the income. And I'm telling you folks with joy, he sees with delight how you are keeping his word and the way you do the math, write your check, put your cash at whatever you do. He sees it. So when we get to whining, and this is what Israel was doing, well, God, where are you? Where are you? We're just, we're just, the crops aren't doing any good, and we're just not making any money, just don't have enough to make. It's as if the Lord is saying, there's a reason. You fix this, and watch what other things will start to come your way. You don't have to be broke. You don't have to be wondering How's it all going to make? But it's that way because you're robbing me. Okay, bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there'll be food in my house. He's not saying that because he's hungry. The Lord's not hungry. 
He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't need a hamburger or a cheeseburger with cut to onions. He, he doesn't need that. But what he's saying is, when you bring one-tenth of what I blessed you with and you bring it into the storehouse, out from the storehouse, the meeting of the needs of the hungry and the thirsty and the ones who need clothes can be met. I want you to be a part of my mercy ministry. I, I want you to have the joy of knowing that you are helping somebody who didn't have another meal. You had plenty. This one didn't have one. We, we got all serious about this as, as Alamo City began all those years ago. And I get it when, you know, folks go to church and they say, I don't care. I don't think they don't need my tithe. They got a, got a $10 million building debt. They owe the bank everything. So what's my tithe? Well, I get that. And there's reason to be concerned, it would seem. That's why we, by the grace of the Lord, and many of you have been around here for a while, you, you have, we paid off the debt on this property. The, the, the bank doesn't get anything. We don't owe a red cent to anybody. Do you hear me? Now, I'm listening. And there's a reason for that. Folks can drive by here and say, well, you ought to do this on the property. You ought to do that on the property. You ought to do this. You could do that if you got yourself in hock up to your nose and in the process be paying the bank so much that you, you couldn't use money to feed people and to help people. I mean, that's what the storehouse was supposed to be. And if you move it over into the New Testament, they sold their property, Barnabas and others including, they sold the property, gave, it, gave the money, the proceeds to the apostles so they could be dispensed to the ones who had it and had need of it. Now, that's how it's supposed to work. He wants us in on his mercy ministry. That's why it's so important. Something will go along with your giving that first 10%, and it will be compassion rise in your heart instead of the joy that you're as tight as the bark on a tree and proud of it. Now, I sound like I'm hollering at folks. I'm really not. I'm trying to encourage those of you who have, or have determined to get in on God's plan. His plan is not to restrict. His plan is to bless and to bless freely. That, that, that varies with the individual. But his plan is to bless. His heart is to bless. And what shuts it down is when we spend every bit that he gives us on our stuff. Many times that's a debt or it's a hobby. We, we think it's discretionary. Well, it's mine to spend. I'm a self-made man. I made this money. Oh, yeah, try that without a heart that beats, huh? <laughs> try it without a kidney that functions. Try it without hands that aren't eaten up with arthritis. Try it. Well, where does the health come from? The one who says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and you watch what I will do for you. You test me now in this. Only place in the Bible that I know God has said, I give you permission to put me to the test. And that word literally, it literally means to prove, to test, to examine, to search out, to watch and see. Test me now on this. 
See if I won't open the windows of heaven. Now that, that goes back into that Revelation 3, the key of David. Heaven has the ability, folks, to open doors of opportunity and close doors of opportunity. You don't have to sell your soul to corporate America. You sell your soul to the one who paid and bought for your soul. And he'll make you a good worker, and he'll make you worthy of your hire. But you will also know that if the whole corporation went belly up tomorrow, God still got you. They didn't give it to you, and they can't take it away from you. You belong to him. There's something about giving the Lord, honoring the first of that which you belong, that secures, settles those things in our hearts. I'm not owned by stuff. I'm not owned by an employer. I'm his. He is mine. And his banner over me is love. That's what he desires to do. So, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Do the math. Do the math. Do the math. But just like you have to do math to pay your taxes. You say, well, that doesn't sound very, that sounds kind of like work, Pastor. Well, you know, the way I figure that, how, how, how much, how desperate is it to you that you fix your financial mess if you have one? If you're serious about it, let the Lord show you. You say, well, I can't afford to give anything because I'm in debt so much. Well, there's issue number one. You don't need 64 shoes of the same color, 45 boat motors, you know, Shirley would say, and 15 shotguns. True. Thank you, Shirley. Where those things cut away, where those things cut away at our ability to honor the Lord they're getting in the way of the bigger picture, folks. So I don't know what I do with this. Just think how much, how little you're living with when the Lord would say there's more. So he says, here's the first promise. I have the ability to give you more. You bring the 10% now, 10% now, not wait until you, bring it now. I have the ability to give you more because you're not robbing me anymore. And because you're in on my mercy program. And, and, and when that happens, it just has a, a good big sledgehammer against the idolatry of stuff. Stuff doesn't have to own you anymore. And it can start with just this simple thing. Lord, you're in charge of my finances. I, I want you to be honored first. He, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out for your blessing until it overflows. Second thing is this. Here's what else he promises. What you have right now will go further. What you have right now. I will rebuke the devourer. Whatever that is that's eaten away at your income, eaten away at your money, eaten away at your stuff. I'll rebuke it. 
I'll stop it from happening. Those are some of the greatest stories on, of giving and the Lord's but How in the world is that air conditioner that, that, that Noah used to air condition the giraffes on the ark? How is that thing still working? Why in the world are my brakes still stopping this car? How can it be that something that should have quit on you a long time ago, should have given up a long time ago, is still working? I've had folks say, listen, a lady this morning, she said, Pastor, I look around at the stuff in my house. <laughs> From a rocking chair to a to a to a easy chair, whatever she's talking about, and it just so blesses me every time I see them that they will they are still working and they're still in my house. Instead of owing your soul for sixty months to some furniture store so you can have something that'll quit on you in two years. And not to say that the Lord doesn't want us to have stuff. It's just that he doesn't, he never intended for stuff to have us. And one of the ways we know whether or not that's happening is whether or not we think we could even survive by giving God the first 10% off of the hundred. I make this prediction. Some of you who've never tried that, have never stepped into this place of the blessing of the Lord and his provision. Here's what will happen to you. You step into it. It won't be long before you won't even miss that 10%. Amen. You're thinking now, maybe I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't afford it. You get set up to do it. Clear the deck enough to do it. Give God time to do what he promises he will do, and the day will come when you won't even miss it. You'll think 90% is 100%. Because it just automatically is drafted. It automatically is given to the work of the Lord. Can you say, so, Pastor, you're just trying to create more income for the church so you and the rest of the staff can drive those fancy cars you all drive. <laughs> there hasn't been a, a, a staff raise, a ministerial staff raise at this place for, I'm going to guess, probably 10 years. Here's our philosophy. Any of you who aspire to come to work at Alamo City, <clears throat> here's our philosophy. We will give you time back. We will give you vacation time back, but not more money. Why? Because it just helps for this pastor and for worship leader and children's pastor and on throughout the to be involved in some aspects of our lives like you're involved in your aspects of, our, of your life. Deal with the public, having to pray through issues, think through issues. So we give time back. Another week of vacation, sometimes two weeks of vacation, been here long enough, so folks, so our staff can create other streams of revenue. Why that? So that we then have more money to give to people who need the things that can be bought with the stuff that would be coming our way. Now, you know, if some pastor or some, somebody hears that, they're probably going to, you know, just want us thrown off the air because it just seems so un-American and so unchurch. 
but it's right. That's why I'm not kidding you when I say sometimes when I'm out doing some of the stuff I do, besides preaching, I'll have men, I'll have people say, well, what, what do you do? <laughs> and I say, well, what do you think I do? I've had answers, everything from banker, lawyer. Some of them think I'm the police chief, you know. <laughs> I, when, I, when I come to a stoplight, if, it's, you know, if, if they like you, they'll wave at you. If they don't like you, I'm moving. I'm dodging those bullets. I, I'm not saying that for any kind of, anything other than just, just to say we're serious about this. That God's heart is for there to be funds in his church to help people with. And the only way they're going to place they're going to get here is when you and I together honor him with the first of that which he blesses us with. And he promises in time more. Promises he'll make what we have go further. But then I really think this is so cool. He promises that what is meant for you, you'll get. That, that's, the, that's the key of David and the door being open. You get that from that line, he will destroy the devourer, but then it says, nor will the vine in the field cast its grapes. What that's saying is, you've been working on this vine and cultivating this vineyard, and we're moving toward harvest, and, and then all of a sudden, either it's a strong wind or it's something chemically within the plant, and all of a sudden, before the harvest, the grapes just fall off on the ground, and the harvest is ruined. Deals that have been worked on, professional connections that have been worked on and worked on, and it just seems like I'm always just coming right up to here, and then it's just nothing. I move over here, I back up, my track, I just move over to here, move over to here, and then nothing. The vines in the field are cast as grapes. The Lord could be saying to you, my brother, my sister, there's a way to fix that. Heaven has the ability to cause deals to make in, on the earth. That's what this is about. If you buy into that and accept that, and you're walking, you're living your life, Lord, I'm trying to honor you, that first 10%, and whatever else more you tell, if that belongs to you. I'm not flipping you a quarter once in a while. Every time I get guilty, I'll write you a check. No, it's, it's I do the math. When I get it, I do the math, I obey. I'm, that's how I do it. Okay, Lord, you know how it's been with me. Things just hadn't made. I've been disappointed again and again and again. Lord, on the basis of your problem, I'm going to ask you would, you, would you just would you just help the grapes to stay on the vines, please, just a little bit? I'd appreciate it. Folks, when you are keeping his word, listen, when you are keeping his word, you have the right to stand then on that word and to be able to say when something breaks, I got to have a new set of tires. Can't even pass inspection because my tires flunked the test. I don't know where the tire's going to come from, Lord. I got an alternator freaking out on that old Ford. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I got kids coming up, and the boy is changing shoe sizes twice a month. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with those feet. But you're honoring him. Then you have a right to say, he said, test me. Where else are you going to find that in the Bible? Why does he say? Because he knows how practical we are. He knows how immeasurable 
things need to be for us to get it. And he says, test me. Do the math. Do the math. Do the math. Write the check. Do whatever you do and step into it. And then when it seems like things are going along and nothing's really happening, you go look over at that refrigerator and that thing is speaking in four different languages all night and day. But it's still working. And you look at some of these other things. He's keeping it going. Things are going farther than they should. There's no human explanation. It's still working. When it seems like nothing is happening, everything's happening. While that's going on, then the Lord also is in the process of preparing things, getting stuff ready. Listen, why should he bless you with $100,000 a year job if you're not honoring him with a $10,000 a year job? Why? Well, when I get that kind of money, I'll do it. No, you won't. If we honor him in the little, he promises to bless us with more. If we're not honoring him with the little, we'll never see. We'll just dream about the big stuff. And not saying that the big is always the answer. It's not. But he has the ability to do that. Now, I know every time a you know, preacher, including this one, gets up and starts talking about this kind of stuff, some folks just kind of stumble. That's not what I came to church for. I said, well, just, I'm just sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. I don't, don't feel sorry for me. This is the truth of God's Word, I'm telling you. And I don't know how many thousands of folks over the years since I've been doing this that I've had a chance to present this to. And I have yet to find one in 42 years of ministry or so that would come back and say, Pastor, you lied to me. Most of the time, they're saying, Pastor, would you, why didn't you call on me? As if to say, I could have told him better than you did. Because it works. It's true. He honors it. It, it. It's not manipulating God. It's just doing what is in our heart to do in a practical, real way. And he says, I notice it. It matters to me. Okay. Now, there aren't words enough for me to tell you how much I love you and how deeply grateful I am for your heart for Jesus. And the reason I risk this kind of thing is because I want you to know the joy that is yours in walking with Jesus in this way. Husbands and wives, you may have to talk with each other. But parents, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children. It will help to keep money from being an idol in their lives. It will, it, will, it will encourage generosity in their hearts. You say, well, where's that money going? It's going to help people who don't have what we have to eat, who don't have clothes like we have clothes. Teach your children early. Help them with the math so they can get started early and not have to try to pick it up after an adult. Lord, I just ask you in the name of Jesus to take this where it needs to go, to encourage your people, to hold steady, to not quit, to trust you that what you say you will do, you will do. Trust me, you're saying, even when it seems like nothing is happening.
trust me. Trust me, Lord, by your spirit. May we walk out of here with those two words from your heart ringing, ringing in our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.